When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the Nighty Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. A reminder, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc, etc. And now you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube. So head over to our channel, hit the like button on this video, subscribe, join the community, and the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. Uh, we've got an exciting show lined up for you today. Uh, Rob, I'll bring you in first. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing well, Scott. How are you, mate? Very well. Very, very well. We're going to look ahead to uh, the future for Man United because it seems like we just need to take a little bit of a step back uh, and analyse like where this club is going. They've been trying to find themselves for a long, long time now, and it seems like they're not really succeeding. So, just for another reminder, you can follow us on Twitter too. Find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promised Land MU. Um, but I mentioned that we got an exciting show t- today for you because we've got a very special guest. And that man is former Man United goalkeeper and Premier League winner Mark Bosnich. So welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very much, Scott. Hello, Rob. How are you all? And a big uh, hello as well to Harry, who's behind the scenes making us all look after. <laughs> Uh, and, well, and sorry about last week, uh, we had a bit of trouble with the Wi-Fi. For those who don't know, I'm over here in Sydney. Uh, but this time we've got the Wi-Fi right and uh, touch wood at this moment in time, we've got the time right as well. <laughs> we've got our fingers crossed. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, Mark, on the show. Uh, we're going to run through here. a bunch of different things. Uh, thank you for joining us. And yes, we did try and record this last week, but it didn't really go to plan. But this is second time of asking and fingers crossed uh, we'll get this one right and give you some proper United analysis. So we'll take a deeper look on today's show, uh, United in the long term, and get Mark's thoughts on a ton of different topics. And I guess we should start really, Mark, with... Obviously, you played for United. uh, I think you started your career at United and then you came back and you obviously won the Premier League. uh, And that was at a time where United were massively successful um, in various iterations of different teams under Sir Alex Ferguson. But Mm. they haven't won the league for approaching 10 years. they're without a trophy unless they win the Champions League this season for five years. How do you analyse the state of the club at the moment? What's what's wrong with it? Because something is, or is there too much to get into on a podcast? Well, I think I think the the latter thing you said about too much getting into a podcast is is probably more relevant right this moment in time. Um, and I think everybody, you know, and and rightfully so. I, I, I sometimes I don't get upset, but I. I I think to myself, people have got to understand, uh, you know, that, you know, it's what it's arguably the most supported club in the world. And, you know, football 
culture is that you know you pay your money to be a season ticket holder you pay your money for a subscription for your team that you're entitled to your opinion um and you know like you just mentioned the fact that they haven't won the premier league approaching 10 years it's looking though it's going to be another like if they, unless they win the champions league well after the first half performance at atletico madrid it'll take a brave man to put money on that it'll be five seasons without success and what this club has been built on has been several things but there's no doubt that a, a, a premium part of that, and I would perhaps say the majority part of that, along with the, with the fans and 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 the history of the club, is the success that it's had. And um, and like I said, it, it's not a nice time, and people are entitled to opinion, and they're going to have their opinion. Now, here's where I think sometimes it can go over the line when you're having your opinion, and and people are passionate, and that, that there is still hope. Okay, there, there is still hope. And, and, and you never quite know when that hope is going to come forth into reality. So if you're just talking in a way that's going to be completely destructive, that's one thing you maybe have to check yourself upon. But other than that, in terms of from my perspective, from, from what I, the people I've been speaking to, from watching from a distance, it just seems to me that I don't think we're in, a, 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 I would say, a different position whatsoever from when Sir Alex retired. That, that's what I'm thinking after I'm looking. I think there was a couple of times... Um, uh, especially during Jose Mourinho's reign. Um, th th there was a little bit of, uh, you could say, light that you think, okay, now it's coming back to those days. Um, you could say the same perhaps, uh, you know, during Oli's reign when they come second and they got to that cup final. But overall, I would have to say, like I said, for me, there, there really is no difference. So what does that point to? Well, that points to the fact that, number one, you had one of the greatest managers, and I think people are realising that uh, now, of all time, there's no doubt about that. And and when I say all time, I mean around uh, you know anywhere in the world, who took time to be fair um, for him to get his ideas across. And most importantly, and we'll talk about that in a little bit about getting the culture of the club changed. Um, the club stuck by him because remember it was very difficult seasons in those first. I think it was first at least three to four years before they won the first FA Cup against Crystal Palace, and that was in 1990. And he'd already been at the club for four years. But the thing is that what a lot of people have got to remember today is that I don't think you can have that type of time anymore at a big club. When I say a big club, I'm talking about your Real Madrid's, Barcelona's, Man United's, Liverpool. I don't think people have got the patience anymore for that. And what makes it worse and exacerbates is two things. Number one, obviously, what I just spoke about, the success they've had in the past. And the fact that, number one, their local rivals, Manchester City, and their ultimate rivals, Liverpool, are uh, leaps and bounds at the moment ahead of us on the park. I don't know if that's the case in terms of junior teams and all that because I don't know enough about the subject. But anyone who watched those games at Old Trafford this season, um, I'm sure, would testify the same as, as me. And I'm talking about the ones against Manchester City and Liverpool. That, that really hit me like a baseball bat over the back of the head to sort of thought, well, th there is a massive gap. But then when you look at the players and if you go one for one for the players... They, you know, I can't see how people can say they're, they're bad players. They may not be performing to their best, and that comes down to the environment that's being provided, but they are all good players in their own right. And 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 like I said, and when that starts to ha occur and occur regularly that they're not playing at their best, then obviously deeper investigations need to be made. I do believe that Ralph Rangick will get to the bottom of it, but it's going to take him time. And, and how much time um, will, will be dependent on the patience of the supporters and more importantly, the board. Yeah, um, absolutely. But we'd love to be sat here talking about oh, you know, different things, but this is the reality and, and where we are. I think the thing is now to start moving on. So how can we make it better? 
Yeah, because yeah. I think we can. As I'm saying, there is, we can make it better. And and when I say we, it is a collective because you never know. As much as players and managers say they don't listen to a lot of these things and media's now, that, a lot of that is true. Uh, however, there may be an idea that come up that they just hear and think, oh, well, maybe we need to have a look at that. But I think the thing is now, what do they need to do? And that's what Ralph Rangick has been brought in for. Uh, obviously, he's manager now, but he will be staying on as a technical director. Well, I hope I hope he does. And anyone who knows his record will hope he does. And that's going to be the key, um, the, the, the change of culture. Um, you know, it, it's so difficult to to let go of an old culture because of how successful it was, but football has moved on. Yeah. So they've got to change and they've got to find their own identity and they've got to build from that. And there's no reason that they can't um, because they still have got the financial power to do it, okay? Maybe not in the same uh, league as, say, Manchester City, but if you look at Liverpool, Liverpool haven't really gone to that extent, if you like, overall, but they've found players who fit the way that Jurgen Klopp wants to play, and that's going to be the key, yeah? Is it, what do you want to do? Yeah, it's a, it's a big case of lacking identity and, cult, and the culture needs to change, obviously. I'm thinking through the the actual 11, like, from the back. David De Gea was signed by Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, yeah. Diogo Dallo was signed by Jose Mourinho. Harry Maguire was signed by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Luke Shaw was signed by Louis van Gaal, I think. And it's... Mm. It's just a, an amalgamation. There's so many players there who've been brought in by different managers and it, nothing really fits, does it, Rob? I mean, like, this is something that Ralph... And we'll talk about Ralph in more depth later on, but in order to get everything right on the pitch, United have jumped around from... They took Van Gaal's philosophy and thought, this is the way to do it. And then they jumped to Mourinho's and then that, that means that they need a different profile of player. Oli tried to do it a different way again. They need somebody like Ranić to come in and centralise everything to restore that central focus, don't they? They do. And I think that what we've seen, you know, since Sir Alex Ferguson left the football club, kind of highlighting the Ed Woodward years, is this stagnation, this kind of being stuck in the mud and not being able to find a way out. And they've tried lots of different things. We just talked about there about finances. Manchester United have spent over £1.3 on footballers since Sir Alex Ferguson left. £1.3 You can get some good players for that, and they have got some good players. The issue is making sure the recruitment matches the culture, that what you're trying to achieve. That's what Manchester City have done. You know, they've brought Guardiola in. Guardiola has initiated that. Klopp's initiated that at Liverpool. Not every signing needs to be a superstar. It doesn't need to be a stellar, world-class, top, you know, top-of-the-division type player. It's about creating the correct squad. So I think when you look at Man United, this has been the issue manager to manager to manager. Every time a coach has gone out the door, so we've just had one with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer leaving, he's left a good set of players behind, but there's kind of just no direction. And I think you've seen this season with Man United, how they play on the football pitch, that even though they have got superstars, they really, really don't have a superstar attitude. They don't go out there and think, right, I'm playing for this badge, I'm playing for this shirt, and it's win at all costs. I think you see with this Manchester United team, I called them soft the other day, and I don't use that word lightly. You know, I think they are a soft collective even though they've got some very good players, because when you see them in big time situations, they can't quite do it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk a little bit about. Obviously, we've mentioned Ralph already. Uh, so he's come in as you know uh, interim manager, and as you mentioned there, Mark, he will take a technical director role or some something upstairs uh, yeah. at the end of the season, and he will oversee. I'm guessing transfer strategy in a sense, or have his input in that, and. 
in terms of bringing in any new players and the new manager, he will have a big say in that too. So it's not really all gone right on the pitch so far for him though. But I'll come back to you, Rob, actually, to start with. We see we are seeing signs of an, an imprint on Ranić, but it's just the results aren't really coming with it as we speak at the moment, are they? Well, it's victories that are not quite coming. So he's not losing games. You know, I think he's only really lost one Premier League game in that period. Yep. Uh, we've see, we're seeing some kind of iffy performances but I think as he said that when he came into the job and I think he's right with this is that it's about results now this is the results end of the season there's no pre-season here this is not the start of the campaign this is get three points for a win every week at all costs now that's what Man United were always very good at we talk about culture talk about the Ferguson years and obviously Bozza will know this as well from his time at the football club it's all geared towards winning you're there to win. That's what sport's about. That's what football is about. So that's what we want for Manchester United. But I think you see with United that there are so many things going on in, in the kind of sphere of the football club that it quite often takes the uh, focus away from the game itself. I always hark back to what Louis van Gaal said when he came to the football club. And he was like, I'm not really allowed to be a coach here. You know, I have to turn up for a million press conferences. I have to talk to commercial partners. I have to do all of that sponsorship, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it hurts me doing my job. Now, has that changed over Manchester United in 10 years? I don't believe it has. I think Mourinho had an issue with it. I think Ole did it a little bit more softly and didn't complain. But Ralph Ranić is a technical coach. What is he supposed to do? He's supposed to be on the training ground with his players, getting them to where they want to be. Now, I think he's done a good job with that. I think you know, actually United are playing better football than they were under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That's just a fact. But it's, you know, what does a guy do when he's going to be here for another two or three months as coach? How is he meant to motivate his players to do everything he wants them to do? I think that's a much bigger issue in the short term. What have you made of uh, Ranić so far, Mark? Um, uh, obviously, yeah, we've I, talked I, about the performances, I, but there are uh, signs, perhaps. There, there are definitely signs. And in and, and that 17 games, I think his first game was against Crystal Palace. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's been 17 games since then. He's only lost two games and only one in the Premier League um, against Wolves and the FA Cup as well, funny enough, at home as well on penalties. So he's definitely steadied the ship. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think where the, the, the lingering frustration comes, um, well, it definitely does for me, but I think for a lot of supporters is, um, for example, the first half against Atletico Madrid. Now, you could look at that glass half full or glass half empty. So me, I'm a glass half full person. So I always like to say, well, it's a sign of a good team that when you don't play particularly well over the 90 minutes that you still don't get beaten. Whereas there'll be other people that say, well, that may be the case, but they're not going to win anything playing like they did in that first half. But if you look at the overall pitch-up, like I said, for me, he's steadied the ship uh, and he'll continue to do that. And the ultimate ambition and the ultimate way of judging his time from now to the end of the season, so when he's come in, will be if they get that fourth position. I think I don't think we should we should be any clearer or beat around the bush, but that that will be his ultimate judgment. Now, going forward, he needs to be the one that basically is going to change this culture and set a new culture and and set a new culture. Uh, and as hard as it will be, because like I said, it, the easiest thing in the world is when you've had success in the past doing something is to look back when things aren't going particularly well, you know, in the present day, and say, why don't we just do it like the old days? The old days were fantastic. They were great, but the game has moved on. But the biggest question I think Manchester United got to ask themselves is, as a club is, have they? And I think the answer to that right now is no, they haven't. So he's going to have to do that. And that's going to be a huge job. 
a lot of that will entail, obviously, the type of manager he wants to come come to the club, uh, who he thinks is the right type of manager, and then the players as well, the strategy. And they're going to have to be very brave. Um, you know, who dares wins? They're going to have to, and fortune does favour the brave, to be brave and say, right, we want something completely different. Who do we want to be? Do we want to be this swashbuckling, attacking side? Do we want to be a counter-attacking side? Do we want to be a team that... Um, that, that wows everybody with their football like we see with Man City every week. I'd say probably be a mixture of, of, of a whole lot of things, but it's got to be then a Manchester United style. This is the Manchester United of 2022, and this is how we're going forward. And again, the, you know, the, the results will be in the eating of the pudding uh, and what we see. Um, but it, it's a huge task um, because, it, you know, you've not got just the other, you know, 19 teams to compete with in the Premier League or the other... You could say you could say sixteen teams to compete with in Europe, but you're competing with a pass which was pretty much second to none anywhere, and that may be their biggest at the moment their biggest handicap. Yeah, uh, Rob, uh, talking about uh, United trying to harp back to the past in a sense, it, it, it seemed like Oli tried to recapture that uh, at points and ultimately did fail. And what Mark said there. It's true because they, they need to forge their own new identity and not look back on what used to work. Do you think this attitude within the club at the level of the decision makers has actually changed now? I, I think what it shows, Scott, is just a real lack of football acumen at the highest level at Manchester United. So, you know, like said, Ole was brought back in kind of to reboot the culture, you know, to move away from the Mourinho model, the kind of the dowdiness that was going around the football club on the football pitch, the issues and all of that. And I think Ole was successful to an extent, but you can't go backwards to go forwards. You know, you cannot reinvent the Ferguson era. You know, when Sir Alex got it right at United, and obviously, again, Bozzer was at the football club in those years, you know, in kind of the late 80s into the early 90s, he didn't reboot the St. Busby years. He did it his way. It was a new way. So you might be able to conjoin those two eras together because of the figureheads and, you know, two proud Scots, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth is they are night and day. They're completely different. And the next manager who comes in and the next, you know, technical director who makes this work will be different. And you have to accept that. So looking backwards doesn't help. Manchester City, who are now having unprecedented success, obviously due to their wealth, they went and fixed it in a technical sense behind the scenes. They went and got a load of ex-Barcelona people who'd done it before and they went and they fixed it from the very top all the way down. Liverpool did exactly the same. New ownership, FSD, multiple winners in baseball with uh, the Boston Red Sox, knowing how to have an organisation that wins. Manchester United, NFL owners who have come in, who took over when Sir Alex was there and just let Sir Alex get on with it. So when Sir Alex left, there was no plan. So 10 years down the line, they're still itching and scratching, trying to find a way to be successful. And I think this is the problem that needs to now be addressed. Mark just said there about Ralph Raniak. I'm still very high on Ralph. You know, I wanted him to get this job as an interim, but I want him at the club much longer term because of what he brings. He brings acumen. He brings knowledge. He knows how to build clubs. Manchester United have had no one in the last 10 years that knows how to build a football team. Yeah, uh, talking about the manager and what happens next, I mean, Rob, we've, we've spoken on previous shows about your preference over who comes in as United's next manager, and you have thrown your weight behind Ralph getting the job for longer term. Is that still the case in your mind? 
Yes, because I think even when you look at the candidates out there, it's not that they're bad candidates. It's that, that this next phase of the Manchester United project has already begun. You know, you don't get to the summer and then just get to end it again and start again. That's probably what Man United will do. They'll probably bring in a Pochettino, a Ten Hag or someone else because Manchester United like shiny toys, but shiny toys do not win you things. Being actually brave in your decision-making. And again, as Boz has said there, you know, about how, how you facilitate change. That's what's important now. Now, I think Ranić's come in. He's worked with his players well. He's steadied the ship. But I think that he's got bigger ideas than what we're seeing. You know, he could go out there. He has that little black book of transfers. He knows the marketplace better than anyone. He can find the right players for Man United. That's what I believe in. What I hope doesn't happen is that you bring in a Pochettino, you bring in a Ten Hag, you sit them in the hot seat, and then Richard Arnold now, obviously in place for uh, Ed, uh, Ed Woodward, just goes, you get this player, this player, this player. Here's your next Ronaldo. Here's your next shirt seller. Make it work. Because that's what happened to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the end, isn't it? Ole got Ronaldo and everyone went, you've got Ronaldo, that's it, you're going to win. And I think most of us in the business went, this could be worse than you think because you've got a 37-year-old who might just hit hit the ceiling now because of his age. So I think this is the issue of Man United. It's a conflict, isn't it, of, of different factions. They need to be united. That's not supposed to be a pun, but they need yeah. to be united together and actually make this a football project rather than a commercial issue. Yeah. Uh, Bozza, like, talking about next managers uh do you have a particular preference for who does come in next or are you with rob there in the sense of ranik should get it for longer i I have a a group of preferences if they're going to go that way um but i mean my main concern is manchester united winning again so um so so that's why i've got a, i would say more of a general view of basically coming down to actually from a general view a complicated view to whatever will work no one's got a crystal ball we don't know exactly what will work all we can do is give us a better opportunity to work so things you got to take into consideration are if you go and get a new manager does then a conflict start to appear between the new manager and ralph rangi okay if you don't go and get a new manager, um, is Ralph Rangrick then the man to take United forward? These are all questions that have got to be answered. And, you know, right this moment in time, I don't think there is one real clear answer. Um, for, for me personally, if it was me and Richard Arnold's seat, I would be saying uh, to whoever it is, look, football has changed. There will be no conflict. I'll ha- Ralph Rangrick will be our football director. What does his job entail? What's his job description? Well, his job description is quite simple. He will appoint the manager. He will take care of transfers on the behest of the manager saying, these are the players that I need. Okay. And he will report directly to the board on behalf of the manager. There will be no conflict between you because that will lead to disaster ultimately. And that's the way it's going to be. Okay. Ralph will not have the power over then to sack the manager but he'll have the majority of say into appointing managers. That, that's that's pretty much how I would go right now. That's what my feelings are. But that could change very quickly because Rob does make a few good points as well. Um, and I think we're seeing that at this moment in time where, you know, uncertainty at a club, it's, it's far better actually to have something that's sort of, even though if it's wrong, but people are certain about it, but uncertainty at a football club, and I'm quite certain you could apply this to perhaps any other business, can lead to more problems than it's worth. And I think right now there's a little bit of uncertainty in terms of the players 
thinking themselves, because I, I know what players are like. I'm still a player at heart. And there are always unhappy players in the dressing room, whether they're playing or not. And there are always happy players in the dressing room, whether they're playing or not. Everyone's ca character is different. But if you sense that that manager is not going to be there in that type of capacity, it can have an effect. And I think we saw that. The biggest example is that when it was when um, it got leaked that Sir Alex was going to retire. And I think it was Sven Goran Eriksson way, but I think it was back 2003, um, had been muted for the, for the spot. And from the people I knew in the dressing room, you know, apparently, you know, it went from, you know, one of the most disciplined dressing rooms perhaps in world football to people actually saying, well, he's not going to be here anyway. And you can't have that. Uh, not if you really want to win at the top level. So those are the type of decisions that they need to make. Um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the choices, you've mentioned two there in Pochettino um, and, and a very good manager, no doubt about that. Um, he's had the experience now of managing really the, the biggest of players at PSG. Um, so he should have a, a good idea about that. Uh, progressive manager. Um, he doesn't play, you would say, an unbelievably attractive uh, uh, type of football, but attractive enough. Um, and I, I just want to interested to see how far he goes with this PSG team because he's pretty much got the squad to win that competition. Eric Ten Hag, for me, is the best young manager at the moment in Europe. Um, he plays a very good a very, very good style of football. Um, and the fact that, you know, I, I always look at how people are going to go after their initial success, because that tells a story, because everybody can have a, a one-off. But the fact that uh, Ajax were, you know, only one of the three teams are undefeated in the group stage, um, and they're looking good. And this is like, you know, what, three years, I think, after their wonderful run where they really should have got to the final um, with different players tells a story, and he's doing that on the biggest stage in football. A lot of people will say, okay, it's different managing Manchester United to Ajax. Granted, there's no doubt about that. It's different It's different managing any other club to Man United. Okay, there's a, there's a, there's a massive pressure on that. The other one that I uh, – well, the other two that I think should be taken in consideration – well, one of them has already gone to Tottenham and Antonio Conte. I was a little bit surprised, especially there was a lot of resistance from the ex-players. Sort of like There was just seemed to be a, a resistance that – they just completely rule him out. He's a winner. And he is a winner. You look not only in his playing career, but as a, as a manager, he is a winner. And I think he should be thought of again. But again, you know, does he want to come in with Paratici or does he, you know what I mean? So you've got to obviously weigh those type of things up. The other one, which I actually mentioned at the time, and I mean, bear with me with this one. I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's a little bit left field, but sometimes you've got to think outside the box. If Italy get eliminated in these, in these playoff finals, I would seriously consider Roberto Mancini. Why? Number one, successful. And the other thing as well, you know, you got to look at your rivals uh, in terms of how can we get one sort of, you know, how can we get an advantage over them? You know, he would have a lot to prove and he'd want to prove it because of the Manchester City thing. You know, and I think that would be a real spice in terms of like, you know, he would, he would say, well, I helped made Manchester City number one. Now I'm going to take their crown off them and show them what they've missed. Um, but a lot of that will depend on, like I said, because obviously if they get to the World Cup, uh, you won't be able to to get him uh, if you wanted to until after November, December. So, like I said, that's a bit of a wild card one. But those are, those are the four people that I that I would be looking at right at this moment in time. Cool, great answers there. I mean, Rob and I have spoken on the last few episodes about. Diego Simeone's come up in conversation uh, as well. Yeah. All doesn't seem to be Tremendous. right. Tremendous, Athletic tremendous team. manager. Yeah, sorry, Scott, to interrupt you. Tremendous no, manager. No, no, tremendous manager. Done a great job. He's been there what over nearly over ten years at Atletico. 
he's taken them to, uh, you know, European Cup finals. If it wasn't for Ronaldo, he probably would have at least won one of them. Uh, he's been almightily successful. But as we've seen recently, when he's tried to evolve his football into a more modern, attractive style, it hasn't really worked for Atletico. And we've seen him recently uh, uh, against Osasuna and then three days later against Manchester United go back to the type of football that he knows best. That, that requires a certain type of player. And I just don't think the Man United fans will it'll be okay away from home. And, you know, you, look, people might say, well, if he wins his one title, so be it. But I'm thinking long-term. I don't think the fans of Manchester United, with the history of attacking football, will 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 warm to that type of style. You, you know, get yourself ready for parking the bus in a lot of the times, both home and away. And I really don't think that, uh, that like I said, that the fans will, will like I said, they, they'll, they'll support it like they do. And especially if he goes and, I don't know, you know, if he wins something. But in the long term, I think Manchester United supporters are looking at, you know, the likes of Manchester City uh, and Liverpool uh, and saying, so, you know, why can't we play football like that? We want it to be a, an enjoyment, a celebration when we go watch the team at, at, at Old Trafford. Not, you know, like like Rob said before about, you know, going there and just coming back feeling, you know, football's supposed to be escape. They're not supposed to be going there and creating more problems for yourself. Absolutely. Uh you mentioned there with uh, Mancini, Mancini if he gets to the World Cup. Another name that has come up is uh, Luis Enrique, who's managing Spain at the moment. Yeah. There's been some interest yeah. there. Um, yeah. Rob, any of these names here, if Ralph does stay, do you anticipate any kind of... No, they have to be able to work with Rannick if he's going to stay. Is there any kind of managers that you just discard because you can't really see it working from that list? No, look, look every one of those managers that Bozza just mentioned there, I would be I would be for, you know, because they've all got acumen. They're all really good coaches. They've all won stuff. They know what it means to be in a winning setup. I think the issue is that whatever coach comes in, Manchester United themselves, from the board level down, need to have the structure for that coach to survive and thrive. So you just talked about Ten Hag there, and I think this is where the, the maybe the contrast is, you know, kind of left and right, is that there's no doubt that Ten Hag is a great young coach. He's come through the right system, came from Bayern Munich into Ajax, done a brilliant job at Ajax. The core difference for Ten Hag would be that Manchester United are a dysfunctional mess behind the scenes, whereas Ajax have a 50-year structure of promoting youth and having a budget and knowing what they're doing. Manchester United don't do that. Manchester United are Disney World. You know, you need a, someone who knows how to manage that. So that's a difficult thing because I think lots of Man United fans are looking for the next Fergie, but as we've said, that's not going to happen. So it means that when you look at Richard Arnold and if you retain uh, Ralph Rannick, and I do worry about that. I do think that Ralph Rannick, if he leaves the door as a coach, he's still going to be a consultant next year. Will he really have any true power? Well, John Murtough is the director of football. I think that will be given to Murtough rather than uh, rather to Ralph. Then there's a problem there, isn't it? Straight away, whoever you bring in, they have to be able to work with this board. You just mentioned Antonio Conte. He was certainly my favourite before he went to Tottenham. He was the name that I was banding around and saying, you know, he's a winner. He gets results quickly, but he also fortifies football clubs. He talks to players. He gets them doing the right things. But look, he's gone to Tottenham, who are also a dysfunctional mess, and he's struggling there. So I do think that that this build, and this is why we wanted to do this show today, was about the foundations of Manchester United. How do you go forward now? Because you could bring in the best manager in the world. You could bring in your next Jose Mourinho, your next Louis van Gaal, multiple winners, and you still don't win. Why is that? And as I said, it harks back to I think what I said about Manchester City and how they've done it and how Liverpool have done it. You must build from the bottom up. The people you don't see, you know, in front of a TV screen, 
they're the most important people in this time. Find the right build and then bring that coach in and support them the right way. Yeah, absolutely. I think Rio Ferdinand's made a comment, a comment recently on Liverpool, uh, you know, ad- admitting what they were, you know, in, in a sense and taking it. They, they hadn't won the league for what, uh, 25-ish years when, when Jurgen Klopp took over mm-hmm. and obviously he's come and fixed it, but it took them that time to think, right, we, we've been getting this wrong for far too long. We need to like check ourselves and start looking forward properly, don't we? Yeah, you know, know I need to do the same. I, I, do you know I spoke to people at FSG right when they took over at Liverpool, right? I did a I did a piece on them. I worked did did some bits. Spoke to Billy Hogan, who was running the operation, and and had and really picked their brain because they were very similar to the Glazers in terms of background. You know, American sports coming over here to try and start something different, but they, those two factions took different routes. So the Glazers kind of just tried to maintain what Fergie had done and just do that they took on David Moyes and that was their way of doing it whereas FSG came in saw a broken football club and went no we fixed the Boston Red Sox we're now going to fix Liverpool in the same way now it shows that sporting models can transfer from one sport to another if you do it professionally now that's really what Manchester United have failed at they've not been able to find a model a business model that gets them the shirt sales that they crave the sponsorship that they love and winning trophies that third one has hit a wall the other two great. Edward Wood is a genius at getting sponsorship and Richard Arnold will be tasked with that as well. But I really do hope that Richard Arnold now fixes the issues that we see on the football pitch. As Boz has said there, football is an escape. You want to go to Old Trafford and enjoy watching your team. You don't want to be going there watching a Nike product, an Adidas product. That's not what you're going there for. You're going there because that football club is in your heart. You pay your money, you know, it's like paying your rent to see your team and you expect certain things. So I think this is the whole conundrum of United now in the, in the weeks and months ahead is that there are so many fundamental things that need to be fixed. Uh, Bozza, how important is it that United make these decisions now in order to identify the manager that they want to get them in place for the start of the summer? Because it, there's going to be an overhaul, I'm, I'm guessing. There's a lot of players out of contract. There's players that United will be looking to sell anyway because they haven't really worked, but maybe a new manager will come in and make a decision on some of those players. But they need a manager in there to work and to find the actual structure that they want to work with moving forward as soon as possible, don't they? I I mean, I think it's super important. I think, that, you know, that they should have places, you know, things in place yesterday, not today. However, I always try to look at things and, and empathise with the other side of the coin. So, for example... If it got out, basically, that, you know, Ralph Rangrick, for example, wasn't going to be manager, I think that that would undermine him. I think it would undermine the, the, the whole thing that he's trying to achieve with the players, coming back to what I said to you before. So it's a, it really is a catch-22 situation. Um, and a lot of it's, you know, as complicated as it is, which it is, all the nuances and all that, this is what takes it to be a little bit more complicated. But the simple fact remains, it's going to come back to simple things like trust, uh, like bravery. And I'm not talking about on the pitch either. I'm talking behind the scenes. And also a certain sense of destiny that this is the way we're going to go. Yes, there'll be tweaks along the way. It may not guarantee us success, but we believe that it will eventually guarantee us success and take everybody along on the journey. Like I said, be as transparent as you you most possibly can be, but not to the point where it's going to undermine people in the organization. So 
I'm sure they're working on it. And I'm sure they're, they're desperate for it because Rob made a good point about those three three things, the shirt sales, the sponsorships, and the winning of trophies. But from my perspective, like I said, and I'm, I'm still a player at heart, those shirt sales and those sponsorships, they go severely north if the number three thing, the trophies, are coming in. Because if I'm a big company and I want to be associated with a sporting brand, I look for a, a lot of things. Let's say I look for, you know, what does that brand mean? What's its identity? You know, what's its reputation? Of course, I look for all those things. But Manchester United, in my opinion, pretty much tick the box for all those things. But then I want my sponsorship to be basically with a sporting brand that's in the Super Bowl, that's playing for the big trophies in football. You know, not that one that's struggling to come forth because I want my brand to be recognized as the best. So I wanted to be with the best. So I think, you know, and we don't know 100% because we're not behind the scenes. And I'm sure they're desperate for that. But you can make certain steps to actually signal to people without coming out and telling them that we are making that the number one priority. And the late Eric Harrison, um, you know, who was my youth coach at Manchester United, he taught me a great lesson um, when I was there as a youth player. It was one morning when we were looking over at the first team when they were training. He called us all together and he said, don't even look over there. Yeah, he said, don't even look over there. He said, because you're not at that level yet. The way you get to that level is what you do on this park. What you do on this park will represent the type of life that you have. So that comes back to what I was just saying. What they do on the park, as long as they have that in the forefront of their mind, what they do on the park in terms of their success will dictate the shirt sales, will dictate the sponsorships. Now, right this moment in time, you may have some cold uh, when I say cold, I don't mean it disrespectful because that's you know sometimes you got to be like that. Very cool-headed business people who have a lot of influence at the club and saying, well, look, right this moment in time, I'm being realistic. I don't think we're going to win much at this moment in time. So let's try to maximize the sponsorships and maximize the shirt sales at this moment in time. That's okay for the short term, but long term, the third one that Rob just said about winning trophies has got to be not the third one, the number one one. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Rob, uh, is this going to be the fifth rebuild? I'm trying, I was trying to count up then as Mark was speaking. <laughs> How many rebuilds are we on now? Uh, it might be the fifth, I'm just thinking. They, they have to get this one right, don't they? And, and Mark is absolutely right. It's something that I've thought for a long time as well. If you're winning trophies, then the other two will come with it. it it's, yeah, it's, it's, you've seen that in Liverpool. Yeah, look, well, we, we, we talk about, I don't know how many rebuilds it is, but it's certainly in terms of projects. So there was the Moyes project, there was the Van Gaal project, there was the Mourinho project and the Solskjaer project. And all of that has happened in kind of eight to 10 years. So that shows that there's been the, the most consistent element of Manchester United has been failure. That's really the truth. So you're right. You know, when we talk about how you facilitate winning on a football pitch, if you win, then of course that means that everything else goes up. It means that you get more shirt sales, you 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 make more money, your revenues are there, and that kind of that that recycling of wealth increases. And Manchester United are very very motivated by that. But the disconnect has been about what a football team does. A football team is supposed to exist to play a sport to win. That's the that's it. That's how it works. As Mark was just saying there, when he was under Eric Harrison and at Man United, the whole ethos of the football club was how do we win? How do we get to where we want to be? 
And that's what Fergie perpetuated over a span over time. Now, we're not going to get that again. You're not going to get a manager that really gets you going over for 25 years. It is gone. It is done and dusted. But you can go and find your coach and your setup from above that helps you win more. And I think this is the whole point of Manchester United, that there, there's a flux, I think, the fans feel. When I see this at Old Trafford every week, that, that we're coming to watch a team to win, to perform for us, to win football matches. But what are you actually watching? You know, what, what are you watching a football team or are you watching a business on a, on, a, on a green pitch? That's how it feels. You know, you've got Ronaldo. He sells all the shirts in the world, but he doesn't help you win. So I think this is the whole point is that Man United, the next players that come in, it doesn't have to be superstars. It doesn't have to be a superstar coach. It just has to be the right one. Someone who comes in, helps you win football matches. And then at 4.45 on a Saturday, after the game's finished, you can walk out of that stadium and say, yes, I'm proud of my team. Because I think at the moment, Man United fans are certainly not proud of the mess that they're seeing. Rob, you've, uh, you've given me a, a brilliant transition there into the players. I did want to move on to that at some point. But, uh, Boz, I'll come back to you here, because you mentioned earlier in the show that United do have a lot of talent in that team. They're just not really putting it together on the pitch. They're not working as a unit. And as I mentioned, it does seem like there's going to be a bit of an overhaul uh, at some point. Well, maybe over the course of this summer and maybe over the next few transfer windows as United try and move players on who perhaps don't want to be there and then try and bring other players through that they really believe in. Are there any players in the United squad at the moment on a positive side that you think are the real deal that they should build the, the new Manchester United around? Well, I, I, the, the funny thing is, if I'm looking at them individually as players, not in the collective that we've seen sort of in and out over a period of time, I would say the vast majority. Um, but I think that, like I said, the, the, the key is at this moment in time, if, you, if, if anyone's ever in doubt about, or which is the, you know, like, you know, you know, man for man, what's the better team? You know, the simplest thing to do is you turn around and say, if we had a combined team of Chelsea, Manchester City, Liverpool and Man United, how many Man United players would get in it, okay? That, that's the simplest thing for you to do. It might vary a little bit, but on the majority of instances, it would it'd be very, very similar. So you've got to look at that. Um, I mean, Rob and I spoke about when we worked at the World Cup about a young Bruno Fernandes. He's one. I mean, he's one definitely for me. Young, you know, young has performed when, when he has to. Uh, he is definitely one. Uh, David De Gea has been outstanding. He's had to be uh, in these seasons. Um, although he's, he's not a, a, a spring chicken, so to speak, anymore. But he's definitely one right now you can rely on. Uh, young, uh, not young, but Varane is another one. Um, and for anyone who's who have watched La Liga, uh, would have seen his outstanding performances. He, he, he's had, you could probably say, an in and out time a little bit since he's been there, but he's definitely one when he's 100% fit. And right, and this is uh, right at this moment in time, as I was talking about right here, right now. Regardless, I can understand the long-term thing and I can understand perhaps the disruption it may have caused to something others. But Ronaldo has pretty much done, okay, the last three or four games when he hasn't scored, people have brought that up. But he has scored the goals that he was brought in to do. So that's talking about immediate, um, that he's not the immediate answer. Uh, I, I would say perhaps Dave De Gea is not maybe the immediate answer, but like for the time being, for, he could still go on for at least another three to four years at the very top level. So then you're thinking the other two, Varane, okay, Fernandes, I always like to, to work from the spine. You're thinking about, okay, we need to get a top striker in. 
okay? Uh, and, and I don't mean that like in the traditional sense when people think, oh, we need a top striker. It's like, you know, he's going to get us 30, 40 goals a season because these days, uh, uh, you know, with defences and being so smart, um, you know, you got to make sure, just like a goalkeeper is only as good as the defence in front of him, so is a striker is only as good as the service that he receives. So we can, we, we'll, we can talk about that and we can get to the, the service later. But that's got to be a priority. There's obviously the situation as well with Paul Pogba. It hasn't really quite worked out. Um, now, Rob will tell you I, I'm as big a fan as Paul Pogba as there is and has been. But the fact that he hasn't signed his contract and it's past January, um, I, I think it's sort of time to sort of realise that basically it, 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 it's more than likely. For me, it's, it's, it's more than likely that he's not going to be there. So you can probably rule him out the equation. Whereas a year ago, I would have said different. Right now, at this moment in time, you can probably rule him out the equation. But that's exactly how I'd be looking and then build a team around that spine. So a top striker, top young striker to come in. Uh, they'll have in mind about a goalkeeper, but he's all right for the time being and then build a team around that. Now you mentioned about the black book and so forth. It, it may just be with Rangit, with his not only contacts, but with his knowledge. And you always have a look for me when you're starting to, you know, if you want to start something afresh, where are the top players at this moment in time coming from? Well, off the top of my head, I would probably say Germany, France, and Portugal. So you need to start looking. You need to start looking and and looking to sort of get them not to uncover, um, but to discover. To say, right, he, this guy is a real gem. Now we all know as well. Playing in England is a different story because the intensity levels. You've heard that from players that have come from abroad are completely different. But those are the three. And also, do not forget your own backyard as well. Okay, there's a lot of talent in England. I think sometimes it's perhaps underestimated how much talent there is there, but don't underestimate that as well. When Sir Alex Ferguson first came to the club, I remember the story uh, that I was told was I remember sort of saying, yeah, I'm from Australia, why? Well, I remember the chief scout at the time uh, was a chap, he's passed away as well, called Joe Brown. He said, well, when he first came, he said, I don't, he said, where do you look for your players? And they were like, well, Greater Manchester in England. I don't want the best players from there. I want the best players from all around the world. So that's got to be the type of attitude that that they will have. And I'm sure that they will. Um, the, but the competition, to be fair, is far greater now for, for playing talent than it was all those years ago as well. Um, but I wouldn't limit myself, like I said, to to even just you. I'd be looking everywhere, absolutely everywhere. I know there's a little bit of, you could say, natural, I would say natural stop, snobbishness, if you like. Not at Manchester, but in Europe in general, about players, not so much with South American players or African players but players sort of outside those, you know, general hubs. But I wouldn't be limiting myself uh, to, to anywhere. I, I think it's like all hands on deck time. And you just got to do exactly what Rob said, before, which is the best for the club, i.e. the playing side of the club. So wherever it may be, um, to, to, to go and look for those players. And then also to put down roots. When I say put down roots, you know, plant seeds for the future. Um, you know, we saw... The advantage that was when Fergie obviously did that with you know with the type of players he had, and then was able to get the Neville brothers, uh, Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes, um, you know David Beckham, um, you know Ryan Giggs, all at that same time. Put down those seeds, and, and and put them down right now. But immediately, like I said, there's your spine, and there's what you build up. Yeah. Yes, it's, I think there is a little bit of snobbish buzzer. Like, like I look at it and I think that it's not a thing for Man United fans to to be snobby, but they certainly want the stars. So like we've just seen Liverpool have just bought, uh, bought Luis Diaz. 
Now that's a player yeah. that Man United fans wouldn't have wanted. And I've said back over time that when when, well, when... I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Rob, but I, I I'm with you with that one because I, I was yeah. thinking to myself when they signed him, and I was thinking, you know, I, I, Man United fans would would have turned around and said, oh well, so I don't know, you know, so let, let's just say Manchester City have gone and got so and so, and we've got Luis Diaz, but he is an exceptional young player, totally. and we've seen already, you know, we've seen already, uh, you know, how I mean, even. Um, uh, the, the other boy they got, uh, Jota from Wolves. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm. I, when they when they signed him, I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, they need a bit of backup, and all. but he's proved to be more than backup. But then again, I, I I linked it. I sort of thought at this moment in time, so in the last couple of years, if Man United had signed him, they'd be like, oh, you know, PSG going, you know, PSG went and got Messi. We've got we've got Jota. Exactly. So I, I wouldn't say like maybe snobbishness is the, is their incorrect word, but it is got to. They've got to sort of say, look, listen. You know, because even back in the day during the, the great successful years, you could argue that they didn't go out and get – well, they couldn't in, in a lot of sense from a financial perspective, regardless of the type of money they had. They used to get the best of the British. I, I'd say yeah. you definitely say that. But, they, you yeah. know, if, if you look at some of the other – I mean, you know, they said during that time, you know, the player of the world was, you know, the original Ronaldo. You know, he, he may have been linked with Man U a couple of times, but we didn't – you know, we didn't get him, did we? You know? No, so exactly. you know we didn't get it. We didn't get Del Piero. You know we didn't get uh, you know um, uh, the boy who who won the player of the tournament, the one who played at centre back for um, his name escapes me right now for Italy in two thousand six. You know we didn't go and get him. You know we didn't get Zidane. Canavaro, you know yeah. so, Canavaro, yeah. yeah, yeah you know what I mean. So yeah, uh, uh, maybe Snobbish is not the one, but it's, it's kind of like look, it, it doesn't matter the name because as we've seen with Old Trafford, they said it offers special special type of circumstances. It matters what the player does when he arrives. Can I ask a question to you, Rob? I mean, we've, we've mentioned the uh, Ronaldo uh, R9 version. I want, just wanted to bring it back to Cristiano Ronaldo. And I know that uh, Mark's mentioned that he's done his job to come in and score the goals. But looking at next season, if United don't get top four and Ronaldo potentially wants to leave, he's 37 mm. now. Is, is he integral to them moving forward or should United try and you know, nip it in the bud and cut that relationship off. I think they should cut that relationship off. Now, the reason why I believe that is that Man United could come 10th this year or any season and Cristiano Ronaldo will get you a ton of goals. Cristiano Ronaldo will score goals. That is his job. He knows how to do it. And if you put the ball in front of him in the box, he will probably score. But can he help you win? Hmm. No, at the moment, you know, you've got a 37-year-old playing a modern brand of football, a pressing style that he simply cannot do every week, minute by minute by minute. And yet the, the, the discussion is how good is Ronaldo? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many goals he's got. The 800 goals, forget about it. That's the history that's gone. That's, you know, that's the past. What can you do going forward? We're just talking there about players, you know, and, and I, I would call it elitism. That's what I would call it. Because I do think that United think in elite terms. They think, well, this person doesn't just, just not going to help us win, but they're also going to sell shirts. They're going to help the commercial offer. They're going to do all those things. So there's all those considerations. And the one thing they're not considering at the very top is, can this player help us win? Manchester City just went and bought a South American player called Julian Alvarez. So don't sleep on him. We're going to be doing podcasts about him next year, talking about how Man United missed out on a generational superstar. He's going to be amazing. He's going to go to Man City next year. He's going to play the false nine. He's going to score tons of goals, get tons of assists. And Man United fans are going to be saying, 
Why do we not sign players like him? So United could have signed him. They were in for him. They had talks. But they said, no, why? Because Julian Alvarez does not give you those shirt sales, not at the very beginning anyway. So I think this is the problem with Man United in terms of the elitism. Like Just going back in time to answer that question, what Bozza said uh, about in history, when Man United won the treble, people forget about the Ronnie Johnsons of this world. You know, without Ronnie Johnson, you don't win that. You really don't. You know, you had players in that setup that Fergie took from place. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was a young Norwegian lad, you know, plucked out of the middle of nowhere and became a historical icon of the football club. So you can go and find those players. You've just got to want to do it. And I'm not sure Man United in the past, over the last 10 years, really tried to exploit marketplaces. That's why I like Ranić because Ranić will go and take a player from the moon and he'll say, I don't care you're from the moon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mould you into what I need you to be. And that's the kind of Man United that Man United need to be going forward. They have to be that type of football club. So one final question before we, uh, before we wrap up. Uh, obviously, this season, United are out of the Premier League title race. They're out of the FA Cup. They're out of the League Cup. And it does seem like now that United are playing for fourth place, their current grasp on it is... As, as we record this, they are in that position, but they're not actually favourites for it. How integral is Champions League football to United's future plans? Or is this a, let's say, if they, if they don't get Champions League football this season or into next season, does that give them a better opportunity to reset everything like, we, like we've discussed here? Rob, I'll come to you first. Champions League football is the most important thing every season. Because that is how your business model has to operate. You have to have top four because you need that 50 million quid in your pocket. If you don't have that, you become weaker in the transfer market. So as it stands, yes, Man United fourth is the most important thing. Do not forget, we are still playing for the Champions League. I know it feels like we're not and it feels like this team can't win it. But I do think on their day... that actually. Yeah, I do think on their day (laughs) that these boys... We talk about Bruno and Ronaldo and all these guys. You know, Rafael Varane's got Champions Leagues coming out of his ears. You know, they can win that tournament because it's just a one-off now and it's knockout. It's knockout football. You know, Chelsea won it last year, as we said, became crowned champions of Europe. Are they the best team in Europe? No, definitely not. So the best team in Europe can still go and, you know, they're not the best team in Europe, can still go and win the Champions League. I do think for Man United that there's a bit of consolidation going on here now. It's about it's about future thinking. But as uh, as Bozza said, if you just put in a new coach now or, or kind of put that forward, then that's going to completely undermine the current manager, isn't it? Ralph Randick's not going to be able to do anything with his players. And I do think that that's one of the problems with this team is that they're not quite dialed in all the time up here. You know, they're not 100% all the time committed to the cause and you don't always see the things that you need to see. So short-term Champions League, yes, get fourth. But even in that race, Scott, you know, are they... You know, are they favourites for it? You know, I look at Arsenal, I look at the teams around them, and I'm worried because Manchester United are so inconsistent. On the other flip side, I'm happy that I think Ralph has steadied the ship and has been able to get some kind of a song out of the band. You know, it is present. It's just that you need it all the time now. It's a short space of time now between here and the end of the season. You've got to achieve. You've got to win every week. Performances are lovely, but if you don't get the performance get the victory, get three points, and then this football club can start to move forward. Absolutely. We'll we'll see how United do in the next few weeks. I mean, as we record this, United 
are dropping points when they really shouldn't be. Uh, but whether that continues to happen, we will see. Uh, I think we might have lost Mark uh, for the end of the show. Uh, but you know, I've had, I've had my own cutout during this, so hopefully we've managed to uh, put things together quite well. Uh, but fingers crossed, uh, you know, this show will come together as a, a nice little uh, overview of Manchester United moving forward. And uh, hopefully we can get Mark Bosnich back at some point soon to analyse where United are as well. So I just wanted to say thank you to Mark and thank you to Rob as well for, uh, you know, everything that we've talked about today. I mean, Rob and I will be back Tuesdays and Fridays uh, on YouTube and on audio and this kind of thing. Uh, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And as I mentioned, you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. So head over to our YouTube channel, hit the like button, subscribe and join the community. The link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. And you can follow us on Twitter too. Find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at PromiseLandMU. And uh, for Bozza, at the real Bozza as well. Uh, give him a follow. He's great. Thank you very much for listening, guys. See you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.